Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Saturday, March the 21st, 2020. It is very, very good to have your company on this Saturday. You got no The late, great Kenny Rogers with The Gambler. Kenny Rogers passed away on Friday night and it was really a sad thing because I didn't um, know anything about whether or not he had any health issues. Apparently he passed away of natural causes at the age of 81. Kenny Rogers was a legend. He really was. He was one of those artists who bridged that kind of separation between country music, country and Western, as it was called back then, in the 1970s, to the so-called, I guess, what is it, pop crossover and Kenny Rogers did was one of the earlier people to do that in the country world. Now, there are others before him, like Charlie Pride, although Charlie Pride was certainly around in the 1970s and certainly before. And, and there are other people like Ray Charles who would try every genre and would be pretty darn good at most of what he did, if not all of the genres that he dabbled in. Ray Charles did some country music. You know, You can make a case that Stevie Wonder has done country music at one point or another and he still has an excellent career going strong and those are just a couple of people I can think of at the moment but Kenny Rogers really made it big he was in a band before going solo and he really did make it big in the late 1970s with the song that you just heard The Gambler and in fact it was from the same album it was an immense hit for Kenny And he parlayed that particular song into a TV series in which I think he played the main character. I remember that series, actually watching it back then in 1978. That's when Kenny Rogers really took off and had been active for a number of years. I mean, he had been in the music business for, I think, close to 60 years. Started in the late 1950s and then went on from there and has proven to be, and did prove to be, one of the most durable people around. And it was just uh, a real surprise. You know, I'm looking at uh, the trends on Twitter as I'm preparing for this podcast tonight and this morning. And, you know, it's it's weird. It's really weird. I'm looking at this going, what? Kenny Rogers? What's he doing? What's he doing on the trends? And and lo and behold, then I see R.I.P. beneath his name and my heart sinks. And uh, very sad indeed, Kenny Rogers uh, passing at the age of 81. You know, he had some great hits, obviously The Gambler. But, you know, my favorite of his was Coward of the County. You know, and I actually tweeted something about that. Um, Some of the lyrics of that song I tweeted out a little earlier at my Twitter handle, The Popcorn, R-E-E-L. And it was really, that song was a really good song because it taught men or taught young men that they didn't have to be these um, muscle-bound freaks and they didn't have to go around beating up people to prove that they were men. And certainly, if you beat up somebody, that does not prove that you're a man at all. That's pretty much a scared little boys complex. But The Coward of the Cannon was quite a, a tough song. It was not this happy song, actually, because, I mean, it speaks of an attack on a woman, these three men, uh, you know, raping a woman. And 
raping a woman and the guy who had known the woman and had had a relationship with her um, had every impulse to try to fight back and he gets these this word of advice from his father and you know it's it's really something quite frankly um, so that song was a pretty serious song um, and Kenny Rogers did do that he was able to mix some of his more upbeat songs with a catalog of pretty darn serious songs um, but I think Kenny Rogers also had a good repertoire and had a lot of romantic songs. Lady was one of his big hits as well. I think that was right around 1980. I mean, Kenny Rogers' heyday was really that late, especially as a solo artist, really that late 1970s into kind of the late 1980s into the 90s. I think he he kind of, you know, that 10-year span, 10, 11, 12 years where Kenny Rogers was gold. I mean, everything he touched in the late 70s and in in the 1980s was absolute gold. And some of the really good songs from him, of course, as I said, The Gambler, Coward of the County, and Lady, there were songs like Islands in the Stream, which he did a duet with Dolly Parton on. Then there were songs um, that, you know, were really good that may not have been as as well known as the others that I've mentioned, but I love the song You Decorated My Life. I thought that was terrific as well. So, and there are others. So Kenny Rogers is someone who, coming from the country world, uh, made a huge impact. And, uh, you know, on music in general, it was very good. He, of course, we know he was an award-winning uh, artist, musician, and terrific. He had some really good albums that did very very well and Kenny Rogers was an icon and one of my favorites back in in, back in the day he was one of my favorite musicians I always looked forward to hearing what he would put out next and my goodness me I was so impressed with the gamble I loved it but as I say Coward of the County was the one that that really was my favorite and of course you decorated my life and lady and islands in the stream Kenny Rogers, um, you know, again, was someone who um, was a down-to-earth guy and told you straight, uh, called it like he saw it, but was a really good, and, and was a really good person. Um, for all intents and purposes, I, I re- realized and found out and remembered that he'd been married a number of times, five times, um, and they, you know, he used to be nicknamed the Gambler. I think. And also, it's interesting, there's a, a baseball pitcher who I don't think pitches anymore. He's retired now from the major leagues. His name is all the, is the same, spelt the same as well, Kenny Rogers. And he pitched for a number of teams in the major leagues of baseball, including the New York Yankees and the Texas Rangers and the uh, um, a couple of other teams whose you know, I, that I can't dare not mention for fear of getting the names wrong. But... Kenny Rogers was nicknamed the baseball player. The pitcher was nicknamed the gambler. Um, because, you know, it was na- he was named after... Uh, that nickname was brought to him after, you know, Kenny Rogers and his song, The Gambler. Because one of the reasons he was called that was, you know, he's a, he's a dealer as a pitcher. You know, you're dealing the ball right down Broadway to the catcher. So that was the nickname that the baseball pitcher Kenny Rogers received from his namesake who passed away last night as a matter of fact Friday night passed away at the age of 81 and he was in a hospice surrounded by family and and some of the hospice workers and there's going to be a memorial for Kenny Rogers coming uh, I guess in the near future or the distant future because of what's going on around the world with this pandemic we will see when, but I'm sure the world will have a, a chance to mourn the loss of a remarkable figure in country music and pop. He was a tremendous figure and he will be sorely missed. 
And I tell you, I, I, um, it's hardly, I can hardly believe that he's no longer here, actually, which is so interesting. Um, because I didn't know that he was 81. Um, you have to excuse me um, for spending this much time on Kenny Rogers because um, this is was not a significant per- uh Kenny Rogers was not an insignificant person. Kenny Rogers was, like I say, a real true legend. And he has left behind a treasure trove of great music. He really has. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, share another bit of his music um, with you before I get into what I wanted to talk about. And he also did a song called Lucille, which is also another one of mine that I um, didn't mention earlier, but that was a song I really enjoyed too. So, you know, let me let me not um, neglect that song as well. You know, Lucille was tremendous. And, and he, he, this is, again, my favorite song of his, just a little bit of it for you. This is called Coward of the County. Coward of the County from Kenny Rogers, who passed away last night on Friday night. And um, my goodness me, um, at, at the age of 81, my goodness, what a loss, really. Um, a big loss, actually. And the world uh, mourns Kenny Rogers um, today. Uh, my goodness me, really, really uh, monumental figure, I think. And as I say, he had a knack for storytelling and uh, was very uh, influential. And he had a lot of influences too, of course. Did a lot of uh, duets and duos and uh, sang with Lionel Richie, among others. Um, Kenny Rogers was a superstar. I mean, this was a megastar um, that we lost last night. We really did, you know. Um, as I said, his heyday was in that, 10 to 15 year period from the late 70s into the early 90s. That was really when um, Kenny Rogers was a worldwide star, quite frankly. And he'd been doing concerts for a long, long time. As I say, Lucille, um, another one of his tunes. I may play a little bit of that later on as well uh, in this um, edition of The Politocrat. So thank you for indulging me for these last 14 or 15 minutes or so. Um, because it, it, Kenny Rogers actually meant a great deal to me. Um, in the 1970s, it was a um, quite turbulent time. Um, you know, being in, in London and, you know, it was just reassuring to listen to some good music. I mean, there was lots of it. Back then, the Commodores, Stevie Wonder's terrific stretch of of albums, you know, Inner Vision, Songs in the Key of Life, and all those great albums he did. And then, you know, numerous other people, the Rolling Stones. And Kenny Rogers was just another one of that group of artists who came along and did great things and had me... 
um, often playing his records, especially songs like Lady, especially songs like Carrot of the County and, of course, The Gambler. So R.I.P. Kenny Rogers, and I do wish you safe travels up there, my friend. The Politocrat is brought to you by the great people at Anchor. Anchor is such a great place to go if you want to get started in podcasting. And it's easy and it's free. Anchor, marvelous stuff, marvelous. And I'm so grateful to the folks at Anchor for getting me going with The Politocrat. If you want to get going and be heard on Apple, on Spotify and everywhere podcasts can be, Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Uh, On Friday, I was saying that I wanted to find out what the IRS was going to do um, about its federal income tax deadline in the midst of this global pandemic, this pandemic that we are all going through. And by the way, I hope that you are well and you are um, practicing social distancing wherever you may be on the planet, uh, quite frankly. Um, Here in the United States, um, as you know, and as I mentioned, the, the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, issued a statewide stay at home order. And except for, of course, if you need essentials, if you're going in an emergency somewhere um, or if you actually have to go to work because um, you are an essential worker, uh, grocery stores still open, et cetera, et cetera. No restaurants open, no, you know, breweries or bars or wineries open, uh, no movie theaters open, no, nothing like that. So that's what essentially what the order is in a nutshell. And so. It's it's interesting being cooped up inside, and and this is going on in New York State now. Um, Governor Cuomo did this, and, and numerous others did this. So, the IRS, I was talking about, you know, are they going to do something about this tax deadline? And it turns out on Friday that the IRS did push back the deadline for the federal income tax filing. To July the 15th. Ordinarily, it would be April the 15th, but it's been pushed back three months to July the 15th. So that will be the deadline for your tax filing in the wake of this pandemic. So just a few moments ago, I was talking about Governor Gavin Newsom out here in California, who I think has just been Uh, The last uh, few weeks, his leadership has been terrific. Um, I think he's been a good governor for the state. I almost said governor. (laughs) I think he would like to be called that as he is well known to be called on a first name basis. When he was mayor of San Francisco here, he was known as Gavin. Just one word, his first name, not mayor, just Gavin. I mean, he would be constantly called that, uh, you know. By by the press too, quite frankly, uh, if I remember correctly. But Newsom's been a, a very good governor for the state, and I am thankful for it. And so are millions of Californians. I know that some people reacted with a great deal of trepidation and maybe anxiety is probably the more precise and appropriate word when the governor announced this shelter at home, the stay at home policy for the entire state. I think that spooked a few people. But I think that this was an example of really good leadership. And I want to talk about that a little bit here. Um, Leadership is everything. And I think leadership during times of crisis tells you everything about somebody. Leadership is more powerful and profound than power itself. And I would maintain that Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York, uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, and California Governor Gavin Newsom, and also San Francisco Mayor 
um, London breed have all been, I think, amongst the very best um, leaders in times of crisis of this particular pandemic, of this crisis, this pandemic. I think their leadership has been second to none. Now, I've not followed very closely London Breed's um, statements. I did see one press conference with her and I thought that was very well done. And the information she was giving out was was synchron on. It was very, very sharp and timely and without fear or panic. And the same thing with Governor Newsom, the same thing with Governor Cuomo, and the same thing with Bill de Blasio. I think everybody that I've mentioned there um, was telling the people that they were speaking to not what they wanted to hear, but what the actualities were and the realities are. And there was some bluntness and some real honesty that was being told, uh, especially by Mayor de Blasio and also, I think, especially the last day or two, Governor Newsom. But leadership is about being honest with the people that you are leading, the people that you are serving, the people that your public service demands that you be accountable to. And I just want to play this clip of really what it means to be an actual leader, because Governor Cuomo out of New York State has definitely, I think he's personified that, and I think... That's the person people should be listening to. And you know where I'm going with this. But here is just a a few moments from Friday's uh, announcements from uh, New York State Governor Andrew Cuomo, who I think uh, has been exemplary uh, in leading, I guess, the second uh, biggest, uh, the uh, the third biggest by landmass. And uh, perhaps, yeah, the third biggest by landmass, I think, state and the third biggest population, I think, as well in the country, but one of the top two, uh, one of the top two economies in the United States of America. Here is again just a snippet of what Governor Cuomo had to say. Listen to this. To do that is by reducing density, uh, density control, density control valve, right, and that's what we have been doing all along and uh, we're going to take it to the ultimate step which is we're going to close the valve all right because the rate of increase in the number of cases uh, portends a total overwhelming of our hospital system Uh, so we're going to put out an executive order today new york state on pause Policies that assure uniform safety for everyone. Uh, Uniform safety for everyone. Why? Because what I do will affect you. And what you do will affect me. Talk about community and interconnection and interdependence. This is the very realistic uh, embodiment of that. We need everyone to be safe. Otherwise, no one can be safe. That is just a small part of Governor Andrew Cuomo's announcement the um, the other day. In fact, it was just yesterday, Friday. And I just don't want to say that it brings tears to my eyes because it doesn't. But I have to say, that's a leader. Governor Cuomo is a leader. And I've had issues with Governor Cuomo's policies and certain things. There have been things that he has done as governor that I have objected to in New York State. I have, you know. But when it comes to a crisis like this, you do need somebody who will be honest with you who will unite people and as well as being honest with people, also put them at ease with solutions and advisories that the people who he is addressing can take to the bank and 
act upon. I mean, that's that's what true leadership is. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. I, here's another example of... Well, you know, here's another example of of leadership. I mean, serious leadership that... And I'll talk about the governor here, my governor here in California, Gavin Newsom. This is this is leadership to me as far as I'm concerned. When I'm looking to a leader, this is the kind of person that I definitely will get behind and support because he's somebody who I think inspires a sense of confidence and you can tell in how he conducts himself and carries himself. He is just a, a, a moment, a few uh, seconds of Gavin Newsom, the governor, Gavin, here in California on Thursday evening. Uh, one thing I also want to express is deep, deep recognition of the xenophobia and the racism that is being perpetuated against Asians in our state. We have seen a huge increase uh, in people that are assaulting people on the basis of how they were born, the way they look. And I just want folks to know we are better than that. We are watching that. We're going to begin to enforce that more aggressively. And I just hope people put down their bigotry, their bias, uh, and recognize in a state where 27% of us are foreign-born, a state that, as I said, is truly universal, the most diverse state and the world's most diverse democracy, that in order to meet this moment, we have to recognize our common humanity. That is Governor Gavin Newsom of California. And this is the kind of language that people in positions of power have to use. He is urging unity. He is urging the condemnation of racist attacks against Asians, which is really happening. That is not a joke. That is happening here in California and it's happening across the country. And I'm going to, you know where I'm leading to here. And in what you just heard, Governor Newsom, who I think is in his second year of office, or maybe his third, I think it's his second, um, is saying the kinds of things that a responsible leader would say, uniting people, condemning racism, content, condemning violence, um, putting forth a united front in the times of adversity and crisis such as these moments here. Um, that phrase, this moment, is something that I, I have talked about before, certainly on social media, and it's a term that is being used by more and more politicians. I don't know if they got together and got a memo or something, and I'm not criticizing the words at all, but they all seem to be using those two words, this moment. I think part of that is both to calm people and instead of saying this pandemic all the time, um, is to, I think, help calm people's fears, even though people are very, very afraid at the moment, as you would understand. And also to give them something to aspire to this moment. Do we stand up or do we not? So that kind of language that you just heard from two governors on both on the coasts, one on the east and one on the west, um, that's the kind of language that we need to have leaders speaking. And that's true leadership. When you rally people, when you tell them the truth, when you are honest with them, and when you, you appeal to their better instincts and their best natures and their most positive selves and their most loving selves and inclusive selves, right? When you do that, that's powerful. And that's actually more power fall than power itself, in my view. Because you've now given people a tent pole upon which to climb and to stand and to plant in the ground something that can grow and get contagious in a different kind of way, not the contagion that you might be thinking of, 
but an infectious spirit of can do that infectious can do spirit, which can make a huge difference in situations like this. You know, yesterday I saw people helping people. I saw some very tense and nervous faces as well, but I saw people helping people, which was, I thought a really good thing because I had not been seeing that all the way through. So that's something I wanted to point out. Um, and you know where I'm going. I'm going to just play a couple of videos. Not too many. Two or three. And um, then I'm going to make my comments. This is part of one of those videos. This is the press conference today. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yesterday. Friday. With you know who and his team at the White House. I really want to try to avoid saying this guy's name. I probably will end up saying it. I have absolutely had enough of this guy in the White House. November 3rd cannot come soon enough. Here, it, here he is talking, responding to a question by PBS broadcast reporter at the White House, Yamish Al-Sindor. Here is her question and then the answer that you're going to hear. When will every American who needs a test get a test and be able to get a test? And why not um, have medical equipment being shipped right now to hospitals who need We're a test? You're hearing very positive things about testing. And just so you understand, we don't want every American to go out and get a test. 350 million people. We don't want that. We want people that are just, that, that have a problem, that have a, a problem with... They, they're sneezing, they're sniffling, they don't feel good, they have a temperature, there are a lot of different things. You know, them, you know them better than I do. So ready? We don't need that. But what we are having is we're having these private labs have come in. They've been really fantastic. And we also have a great system for the future. Because as I said, we inherited, we, meaning this administration, an obsolete broken system that wasn't meant for anything like this. Now we have a system that you can see because look, we're well into this and nobody's even talking about it are, except for you, which doesn't surprise me. There are Americans though which who say that they have me. symptoms and they can't get yeah, tests. Well, okay. what, do you, what do you say to the I'm Americans not, who are I'm not that hearing they have it. But we don't want everybody to go out and get a test because there's no reason for it. Yeah. Americans who have symptoms we'll do one more after this. This is not this is not leadership this what you just heard is not leadership definitely that is a no By the way, the politocrat has a Twitter page. You can follow the politocrat on Twitter at the underscore politocrat. That's at the underscore P-O-L-I-T-I-C-R-A-T. There was nothing that you heard that was positive. There was nothing that you heard there that was clear. And there was nothing that you heard there from him that was true. And I should say that there was a clear combativeness, a clear defensiveness, and a belittling tone and attitude. And I think that when you have that kind of response to a really important question, where, you know, when is, when are Americans going to be able to receive a test? 
When you're asked a question like that and you behave in the way you behave, you have undermined yourself. You have undermined the office you occupy. And you've also made a mockery of how serious this pandemic is. I think that when you do what this guy did with that response I just played you, it exposes you as one of the weakest leaders. And it is not, believe me, it is not sensible and it is not smart. It really is not smart. And I just don't know if anybody can honestly take this guy seriously. I'm going to play a few more clips because I just think that for those of you who didn't watch what was an appalling and quite frankly disturbing press conference on Friday, I think you do need to be aware of this and I'm going to explain why. I really think it's important that you hear this clip And I certainly will talk about this, but play some other clips because I think this is just totally unacceptable. Here is clip number one. And this is in response to reporter Peter Alexander from NBC News. I think that that's a disgraceful comment. He is talking about he has just he's ju it's just a feeling. You are supposed to be the leader of the free world, except you are the leader of a cult following that resembles Jonestown. You cannot take this guy seriously, but at the same time, you should take what he is doing. And saying very seriously. And I think that what he's doing and saying. He's saying a lot. But doing very little. If nothing at all. Is what is very dangerous about him. Here is another clip that I want to play you. And I think you should. Listen to this one. Because this is the one that I think caused a stir today amongst some. And I would contend that there were some other things that were arguably bigger than what transpired at what was a really crazy, weird, disturbing press conference. This is a clip that I want to play. Now, by the way, um, the guy in the White House in another clip, which I'm not going to play, actually told Peter Alexander, the NBC news reporter, what the hell do you have to lose? I mean, that is not leadership, folks. Here is the clip, though, that I do want to play. This was an exchange more like a scolding from the guy in the White House to Peter Alexander. This you should listen to. Americans were scared, though, I guess. Nearly 200 dead, 14,000 who were sick. Millions, as you witnessed, who are scared right now. What do you say to Americans who are watching you right now who are scared? Uh, I say that you're a terrible reporter. That's what I say. Uh, I think it's a very nasty question, and I think it's a very bad signal that you're putting out to the American people. The American people are looking for answers, and they're looking for hope. And you're doing sensationalism, and uh, the same with NBC and Comcast. I don't call it, I don't call it Comcast. I call it Comcast. Let me just ask for whom you work. Let me just say something. 
That's really bad reporting. And you ought to get back to reporting instead of sensationalism. Let's see if it works. It might and it might not. I happen to feel good about it, but who knows? I've been right a lot. Let's see what happens, John. No, you have not been right a lot. In fact, you are lying a lot. Some 17,000 plus times now. This guy has lied. And he lied again in that clip when he said, I've been right a lot. And of course, everything Donald Trump says, unless it's something racist or misogynist or anything like that, assume that he is lying, please. I think the record is very clear on that. Everybody was upset about that clip and the way he treated Peter Alexander. And I was not saying I was upset, but I definitely was not having that. I think there were, and there's no place for what happened there. It was what I call a deliberate subversion of the press. And this guy has been doing that a lot lately. He did it at a press conference on Thursday. He did it last week with Yamish Alcindor again in the Rose Garden when there was a ceremony. And I forget what it was for. But the point is, is that I think it was for these corporations who were coming out there and announcing, oh, we're doing drive through testing and all this other stuff. And, and this, this was the same Rose Garden appearance where Trump put his hands all over the microphones and shook hands with pretty much everybody. And, you know, supposedly he doesn't have coronavirus. Well, um, but my point is, is that what you just heard there was absolutely wrong. That is not the way you ever respond to a reporter who's asking literally about, about what the outlook of the country is and how can you reaffirm and reassure them. And he didn't reassure Americans. He scared them, which is exactly what his MO is. And I think that that's something that cannot be overlooked. Leadership is very important. Um, then there was a really weird moment with Sean Spicer, of all people. And Sean Spicer, who, of course, used to be the White House um, press secretary who'd give the press briefings, you know, he famously... His very first press briefing, of course, was on that Saturday, the day after the inauguration of this guy in 2017. And he spent seven minutes scolding the press. That was his very first press conference. He didn't take any questions. He stormed out of there. He was shouting at the press. This is still on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it. On a Saturday afternoon... This is the day after the inauguration. He had these two big photos and he was shouting at the fact that, you know, the, that it was a lie, supposedly that the inauguration wasn't as big. And these side by side photos of Obama's inauguration and this guy's and it's just like they're pulling out their penises and trying to. See who's is bigger. I mean, it was just madness. And so who showed up? Who appeared in the press corps? Sitting at, right at the back, standing right near the back, right at the back of the room, taking, asking this guy a question? That's right. None other than Sean Spicer. And I had to do a double take. And it was, I found that to be really disturbing. And... The fact that Donald Trump, in a way, disregarded him by not even acknowledging his name. And the fact, of course, that he worked as the press secretary for what, a year? Just about a year, maybe a little bit less than that, because, of course, he then quit. And I think Sarah Sanders then came on board then. I think it was just a bit, bit over a year, a year and a half or so. I think it was just around the spring or summer of 2018 that uh, Sean Spicer moved on. And then he, by the summer of that year, he was on the Tonys and he was getting all this stuff. Then he's on, and then he's on Dazzling with the Stars. And the whole point here that I want to get to really, because I don't really have to play any more clips and, and I'm not going to traumatize you with any more clips 
of this fool. But the real deal here of having someone like Sean Spicer there is not only to confuse people, but it's also to, again, berate the press and subvert the press and also bring a level of celebrity proceeding to this whole thing. What Trump is doing, and I did mention his name, is running the country now like a game show, like a reality TV show. And uh, it was no accident that you had Sean Spicer in the crowd, in the press briefing, asking a question. That was not an accident, believe me. And this is really disturbing and quite scary, actually. I find it to be. Because what Trump is doing is telling his viewers, any viewer, you, me, anybody, or his supporters, or people like me who do not support him, that this is just a game for him. This is crisis management for him. Dan Scavino tweeted out something a few weeks back with, and I've tweeted it out on my Twitter feed, with this guy playing the violin. And there was a meme on there saying, basically, you cannot stop whatever is coming next. And then there's the tweet by Trump saying, well, I don't know what it is, but it sure sounds good to me. And to me, it's very, very clear what it is because Trump's playing a violin. This is all about Nero fiddling while Rome burned. And that's exactly what Dan Scavino wanted to evoke. And I think it's very clear that Trump wants to evoke that too. He knows exactly what that picture of him playing the violin is about. And I think he knows exactly what it meant to have Sean Spicer, who is a contestant on Dancing with the Stars, for heaven's sakes. I don't know if he's still on it because I don't watch Dancing with the Stars. But the point is, is that this is what the desired effect was, was to um, have someone there who clearly did not fit in there, shouldn't have been there. Just like the person that won American News Network the previous day, Thursday, at the press conference, you had her asking this bizarre question. And this is all about subverting the press while he, he, that is Trump, went on to attack the actual established press like the Wall Street Journal, like the New York Times, when he said on Thursday, well, I don't even have the New York Times sent to me anymore, you know, which is a lie. And there's no, and the Washington Post, there is no accident that he, at the same time that he bashes the press and bashes Peter Alexander and bashes Yamish Alcindor, there's no accident that concurrently putting this you know, extreme right-wing conspiracy theory news networking as a journalistic enterprise asking a question and then putting in Sean Spicer, who, of course, is a now a reality TV show star as a reporter, is no accident. That is deliberately planned. And I'm sure if people didn't watch that, they would certainly have... Um, not known, but my goodness, it was it was really crazy to see it um, in real time. Whole press conference press conference was crazy, and here's something that I want to take issue with: there is no leadership. Obviously, there's no leadership in the White House, none whatsoever. I just want to just play this. This is the last clip I'm going to play. This is of CNN's John King, who was a White House correspondent. I remember uh, very clearly he was a White House correspondent. Did his job pretty darn well, I might add. And Caitlin Collins, who is now CNN's, I think she's the chief correspondent or maybe junior um, to Jim Acosta, who I don't know where Jim Acosta is. I don't know if he's... If God, I hope he has not come down with this virus. I, but I don't know where he is. I don't know if he's on holiday or I have no idea. But anyway, here is John King and Caitlin, Caitlin Collins 
This was right after the uh, press conference, the miserable excuse for one, ended. I want you to just listen to this. It's about 45 seconds long. I sat in that room for just shy of 10 years. It was a perfectly valid question. And what the president did to Peter Alexander is reprehensible. The American people are looking for answers. They do want hope. They do want support, Mr. President. That was a very fair question. Our Caitlin Collins is in the briefing room right now. She was there for that contentious briefing. Uh, Caitlin, this is a Trump trademark. This is a Trump trademark. It was striking that this came, this, this, forgive me, bullshit attack on fake news came just moments after the Secretary of State said the American people need to be careful about where they get their information and go to sources they can trust. I get there are times disagreements. There are at times contention between politicians and reporters. That was a 100% legitimate question with no hype, no shade, no bias. He just wanted to attack. Yeah. Now, when you listen to that operationally, there is absolutely nothing that you can really quibble with as far as John King is concerned. I mean... As I just mentioned, and I played the piece of audio, so you got to listen to it, that the attack on Peter King, excuse me, Peter Alexander by Trump is, you know, it's reprehensible, it's disgusting, it's ugly, it's cowardly. And that there can be no dispute over. But I think where John King misses the point and misses the boat, quite frankly, is in framing this as well, he asked a totally legitimate question, did Peter Alexander, as if that is the frame from which we are even looking at this from. It's a dangerous frame because what you are now doing is arguing on Donald Trump's terms. And you are even putting into the ether the very notion that the question or the test for a reporter is whether or not he, she, or they can ask a legitimate question or not ask a legitimate question. And once you start to put a reporter's prerogative to ask what you might call unreasonable or ask what you might call reasonable or legitimate, once that becomes the framework for your discussion, you have already lost to the dictator, and you've already slipped into the darkness of dictator land. I mean, that's really where we are. We are in dictator land. Because the test should never be that a reporter is somehow asking a legitimate question or not asking a legitimate question. That should never be the test. That should never be the issue or the question. A reporter, and the very essence of a reporter's job, is to ask questions. That's what a reporter does. So John King actually questioning or saying, well, this was a perfectly legitimate question. What if it wasn't? Should he have? I mean, you know what I mean? And that is really not where the inquiry should be. I say that the inquiry should be around an, an illegitimate, impeached, quote-unquote president who is destroying the press who is subverting institutions and destroying them, including the very government agencies that he is cutting people from, firing people from, people are leaving. That, John King, should be the bedrock of your questions and the bedrock of your conversation with Caitlin Collins, who, by the way, stood up for Peter Alexander, I might add. And in a very good question to him was, look, you know, why, why do you, you say you're a war president and you've got this leadership and why would you think that that's good? I'm paraphrasing. Why would you think that's good leadership at a time when Americans are, are, being, are afraid? And that's basically what Peter Alexander had asked him. And then he defended, and then Trump defended his incorrect behavior. This guy is a very dangerous guy. And although he is 
someone who is not bright, someone who is not smart. He's very dangerous because he knows manipulation. He studied it well. And he manipulates millions of Americans daily. And he also brings a culture of not just fascism, but, but obeisance, forced obeisance. In other words, any cabinet member has to basically kiss his backside. Otherwise, they are out the door. And what he's done is he's massaged and manipulated them so that they have to fall in line with him, even when he lies. And you saw that on Friday with Fauci, who tried to cover some of the messy tracks that Trump left in some of these questions that were being asked with the answers that he gave. And at one point, Fauci absolutely put his head in his hands, face palmed at some of the answers that Trump was giving. And it was just incredibly crazy. It really was. I've not seen a press conference like that in some time. I really haven't. It's one heck of a sick thing to see. And it really was disturbing. And so I provide some of those um, clips so that you can hear them. I was going to go into quite a bit more on leadership and what to do, but I'm going to have to leave that for another time. I just want to say, I want to just reiterate some advice to you in the midst of this pandemic. First of all, be safe and be careful. I would, again, reiterate the call to drink hot drinks, whether it is green tea, chamomile tea, something hot. I would urge you to, to eat oatmeal, um, obviously hot water, and do that. Any other hot foods, make sure you wash your hands after you touch coins because there's lots of uh, evidence from the, from the uh, World Health Organization that the virus can linger on you know, stainless steel or metallic surfaces or, you know, or in coins. So you want to make sure that you do not touch your face while you are holding coins and make sure that when you get home or if you are at work, that you go to the bathroom right after you've handled those coins and given your hands a good scrub for 30 seconds, 20 or 30 seconds uh, with hot water and soap. So, you know, that's important and any kind of cash as well. Because the same thing, these fomites, F-O-M-I-T-E-S, that linger in paper cash, in cash, are also problematic and they can um, cause the uh, spread the virus. And uh, you want to make sure that any metallic surfaces are not touched and that they are swabbed and cleaned and wiped. Same thing with door handles as well. And by the way, please do not hoard. Please. There's enough for everyone. Let's work together, folks. We will meet this moment and we will get through this together. It's going to be a long slog, but we will prevail. And I just wanted to say one other thing. There was someone at NBC, speaking of the media, who passed away um, just literally on Friday. Someone who passed away from, heaven, heavens for heaven's sakes, the actual virus, the uh, virus that we've been, that I've been talking about here. And it was very sad to hear. Larry Edgeworth is his name, was his name. And he was someone who worked um, with NBC News, worked for NBC News. And he caught this virus last week. And I guess he may have had some underlying pre-existing condition. And, and sadly, he is no longer with us now. So he got a good tribute from... A nice tribute from Chuck Todd today. And this is a very sad moment. So I do want to say RIP to Larry Edgeworth and my deepest condolences to his surviving family members, including his wife. I want to thank you for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. Enjoy this day and hopefully all will continue to be well in your world be careful be safe practice compassion 
community and consideration for others. You can find The Politocrat on Twitter at the underscore Politocrat and that is at the underscore P-O-L-I-T I-C-R-A-T I can be found on Twitter at the popcorn R-E-E-L and the politocrat and the politocrat can be found on various podcasting platforms wherever you get your podcasts including Apple and Google and Anchor Be well, everybody.